showing with myself, Nadine Regan. This is the podcast based in Dublin, Ireland, where we talk to well-known people about their lives and about what has made them who they are today. The podcast has been on a little bit of a break lately. Your host was busy ducking and diving between COVID restrictions to get married. We finally managed to tie the knot in Dublin this summer on our third try, but now it's back to business as usual. This time out on my Rita showing... I'm delighted to tell you that my guest is Simon Laban, lead singer of Duran Duran and cultural icon since the 1980s. Pretty much since the day he walked into a little club in Birmingham back in 1980 and encountered for the first time Andy Taylor, Nick Rhodes, John Taylor and Roger Taylor. You'll know Duran Duran for tracks like these ones. Save a Prayer, Rio, Come Undone. But there are so many more, including the track Hungry Like the Wolf, which Simon Levan actually performed earlier this summer in a very impromptu way when a young troubadour outside a restaurant in Ibiza begged him to join in on lead vocals as he was strumming the guitar lines. A video of it was uploaded to Facebook and over 1.2 million people have seen it. In the interview you're about to hear, we talk about that moment as well as his thoughts on... Singers like Elton John, producers like Mark Ronson, Auto-Tune, his bandmate John Taylor's dislike of certain Duran Duran tracks, and of course we talk about the new 2021 album Future Past. There's a lot to cram in. I hope you enjoy. I'm delighted to welcome you to My Roots Are Showing. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Nadine. How are you? I am very well and delighted to have you on the podcast. Now, we've so much to talk about. There is such a history with Duran Duran, a band that I grew up with, went right through the 80s with you guys, in my heart at least. But I suppose just to um, to, to mention quickly uh, before we get into the meat of it later on, I mean, the new album sees you returning at a moment when the 1980s feels like it's never been bigger. The, the clothes are back, the synths are back, the quintessential Duran Duran sound in a way feels like it's never been more relevant. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It just seems as though people want to be a little bit more individual again. And I think that's where Duran Duran fits in. Yeah. And going back to your roots when you initially formed, do you have a clear vision of the young man you were then and a clear memory of, of what you wanted to achieve artistically? A clear memory? Absolutely. Yes, I do. I do. Well, actually, I walked, I walked down the um, alleyway uh, on Broad Street to a little nightclub called the Rum Runner um, in May of 19, 
80. I met the band for the first time. Roger Taylor was just moving barrels around in the front. All, most of the guys had a job in the, in the nightclub. Nick was a DJ. Roger was kind of, he was doing cleaning up and moving things. Andy Taylor was in the restaurant or he was in the kitchen helping cook people's food. John Taylor, he was kind of, he would, he would, he would spend most of his time kind of posing around looking beautiful. And I found that I fit right into that. I had a kind of definite kind of post-punk style that was um, definitely colourful. We were all colourful. We liked clothes. We liked visual imagery. And we loved music. Mm. You were quite influenced by bands like Roxy Music. Would that be fair to say? I think the band is. I mean, it wasn't my my favourite band. They weren't my favourite band. I mean, we, the, 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 the artist who really connects us all is David Bowie. We were all massive David Bowie fans. And some of us, you know, we'd, we'd been kind of, we'd been into punk rock, some of us more than others. Andy, Andy really wasn't into punk rock. He was into rock, you know, with a capital R. Um, but the rest of us had really, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd seen the Sex Pistols, the Clash and, and Susie and the Banshees and thought, if they can do it, so can we. Yeah. And from... A very early moment in, in the band, was it clear that lyrics would be a strong point for you? Uh, there's a moment actually in uh, John Taylor's memoir where he says, you know, Simon is not good at hiding his feelings. That is one reason why he is such a good lyricist. Mm. Thank you, John Taylor. Um, what, a, what a lovely thing to say. Um, yeah, it's uh, lyrics was was I mean I you know I I think I got the job because of the book of lyrics that I brought. The one thing that Duran Duran they they had music, they had they had they had rhythm, they had a they had a you know some top line melodies, but they had hardly any lyrics. And I walked in with a with a book full of that stuff. Um, and um, and one of our strengths, Nadine, is that we've always been. We've always been a democracy. We've always been a band who everybody's equal. You know, we always shared all of our income absolutely equally across the board, no matter what the contribution of that person is, whether it's, whether it's publishing, uh, recording royalties, live shows, merchandise, everything always went absolutely split um, evenly. Yeah. And that, and that is one of the reasons why we are still together. So you wouldn't have done the Lennon McCartney McCartney Lennon arguments. No, no, because it, because because that because that excluded the other members of the band. It's quite a maybe a hard road emotionally, creatively, and it's a real testament to all of you that in 2021 you're recording new music and you're still hungry. And mm. it really says a lot. I think to to um, to fans about where your hearts were that, that it was always in the music and it wasn't yeah. you know you weren't a, a formed band as it were you know you weren't a band yeah. that were there for the five years that so many pop bands exist for. Absolutely, I mean the music really tells the story and particularly the new music on on future past. It, it, I think I listen to that. I can hear the passion. From all, all, all four of us, from Roger, John, Nick and myself, I can hear the passion for music coming right through on all those songs. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's quite 
it, it's it's quite vindicating in a way because you know we had been written off at, at time from from time to time as being people who just in it for fame or just in it for money. why anybody would want to be into anything for fame i do not know but um you know that was what the criticism that was leveled at us or an accusation that was made against us um but it's clear from our recording history where our hearts are our hearts are very definitely in music and the one that's one thing about us that you've got to know is that we all realize that we make better music together as duran duran than any one of us or would make outside of the band there was a moment actually um i don't know was it this summer or was it a summer previous but i was sent some footage of you and you were singing, um, I think you were singing Hungry Like the Wolf, actually, and you were in Ibiza, and you'd just gotten oh, up, gosh. apropos yeah. of nothing, to sing Hungry Like the Wolf. The video has been seen over <sighs> 1.2 million times, and you're yes, brilliant Yes, my, my manager's it. really not very happy about that. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think she, I don't think she likes the colour of the T-shirt I'm wearing. Um that was funny. That was very funny. I mean, I was, I was, I almost got out of the restaurant with, he asked me to do, to do a song with him before. And I said, I said, you know what? I'm on holiday. It's probably not the best thing. My manager will kill me. And, and I just got out and he started playing Hungry Like the Wolf, but he started playing it wrong. And I said, guys, I can't take this. I'm just going to have to t- show him how to do it properly. The funny thing about that video as well is it sort of it lends itself to the idea of you guys being endlessly glamorous. And of course, you would be in Ibiza at a beautiful restaurant having the time of your lives. Yes. And, yes. <laughs> you know, do you get that a lot to people? I mean, I'm sure you have a massive glamour, but I presume there's a lot of home life and ordinary things as well. So like what is a normal a normal life like for, for you know, for a Duran Duran member? I'm not sure I want to talk about a normal life, Nadine, because, you know, we are Duran Duran. We are the band who made glamour, the new punk. So, yeah, I, I got I, I got a normal life. I've got uh, I got family. I got kids. I got grandchildren. They live at the end of the garden. They come over and see their, their Zsa and their Boomba. But it's been work, work, work the last. Well, we started in um, at the end of August. Um, so we did all of September, all of October, and now we're into um, into November. And honestly, we have not stopped. I don't think I've ever worked harder on a project than we are working on this one. I want to actually talk a little bit about the new work. But before I do, uh, just one more thing on, I suppose, the reception that you have from uh, people who've grown up with your music and who hugely respect your vision as it has existed through the decades. Mark Ronson, actually, in one of his docuseries, interviewed Nick Rhodes and just really wanted to get to the nitty gritty of his playing and his synths. And it was actually marvellous to watch uh, Nick take apart mm. uh, song structure in the way that it was done in the series and is it very gratifying mm. to come back to that point where you can see how influential you've been to younger artists or producers who are now coming to you and saying by the way you were very formative for me well it's, it's the one thing that really counts in a way well I mean it's not the only thing that counts but 
because because you know our relationship with the audience is it's very easy to take that for granted and we don't do that helping other musicians that's the way i think of it not so much influencing them but helping them by by showing them what is possible not this is the way to do it but you could do this that has always been something that has given me great great uh, solace and satisfaction when when people when artists cite Duran Duran as an influence it's mm. um it's amazing it's it's a very very high accolade indeed yeah and Mark has been an important presence obviously on the new album yes. Future Past yeah he absolutely is yeah yes. I mean he you know, he, I, I, you know um the song well not just the song Wing but but the the, the, the producer Errol Alcan is somebody who Mark kind of pointed us towards, you know, he's, he's one of those, he's, he, Mark has, um, we're very deep, we're very good friends with Mark. We've got this, and we got the same kind of friendship with Mark as we have with um, Niall Rogers, actually, in, in that we'll always be friends. We'll always be willing to help each other. And we love to see each other. And we stay in contact all the time. What does he bring to the music? But he's, he likes to get, he likes to get in the, in, in, in the studio on the guitar. That's what Mark brings. He brings actual, you know, chord changes, music, musical direction from, you know, from an instrument, not sort of sitting in the control room going, I think you should do something a bit more dance. You know, he like, like he likes to play. In terms then of the special guests on the record, uh, did he yeah. have an influence in saying to you, how about, you know, Tovlo, how about, you know, working with? Actually, no. No, he didn't. Um, so, so Tovlo was a suggestion from. Uh, we got we got a list of, of artists sent to us from the management. These are people we think that would would make very good collaborations. And it was, you know, it was people like um, what's her name, Swift, you know, and um, Taylor, and Dua Lipa, <laughs> Taylor, Taylor Swift, Dua Lipa, Lady Gaga. Yeah, I mean, just the very, very top names in the music industry. Uh-huh. And we thought, oh, God, really. And then, and then we went down. We went sort of a bit further down the list. And John and I both noticed um, the name Tovlo because we'd stood backstage in Sao Paulo at Lollapalooza a couple of years before and watched her do her whole set. And we thought she was really good. Mm. And we and we said, well, at least we know who she is. At least we know her. At least we've kind of got some connection with her. Mm. So we sent over, so, so that one was, um, and that came from management, and we sent over the music, and she chose the song, Give It All Up To Be On. Mm. Um, Ivorian Doll and Chai are both, uh, were both suggested by me. That track, Hammerhead, is great. Isn't it great? Yeah, it's really, it's, it's one of my favourites on the record. It's my, it's my favourite lyric on the album. Mm. Yeah, it has it has the line "Good night, Shanghai bikinis aflame," which which is I'm very proud of that. The twenty year old Simon Laboni walked into the rum and I would be very very proud of that too. I can tell you. <laughs> and actually, just mentioning the lyrics, is it harder or easier now to write lyrics when you're confronted by imagery of the past? You know, there can be moments I think when I think most artists start to worry that they're repeating themselves. I remember R.E.M. saying once mm. that they didn't want to write another song that sounded like an R.E.M. song. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to write a song that sounded like an R.E.M. song either. But anyway, that's <laughs> beside the point. Um, I do like R.E.M. very much. Um, I know I know what you mean. I know. 
I just think you've got to you've got to you've got to get inside yourself rather than stand outside and look at yourself as, as though you were the audience, because that is the that is in a way the definition of being self-conscious. If you've got if you're inside of yourself and you're looking out and you feel that there's something you need to communicate to the people out there, it doesn't really matter if you've said it before or not. It, it, if you've got something new to say, amazing. But sometimes you find that you are kind of banging on with the same message and you find different ways of different ways of of, uh, of putting it out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's perfectly all right. Yeah. Well, one thing that actually really surprised me, actually, again, coming from from the John Taylor book was when the, he was talking about your resurgence in the 1990s. And there were there were two tracks on that album, the wedding album that I, I really did think were yeah. phenomenal, which was Come Undone and Ordinary World. And to me, hearing them for the first time and seeing the videos, I was like, well, these are obviously like pieces of perfect pop. Like they are, they are just beautiful. Um, But John Taylor said, and this really surprised me, he just said, Ordinary World um, had no baseline to speak of, didn't rock or groove. Uh, He just didn't really like it. And and No, he didn't like it at all. And I kind of... He didn't. Yeah, and I and and I kind of wonder, like you know, when you have something like that, he loves it now. I'm sure he does. He, he does. <laughs> he loves it now. Um, but but you know, sorry, like you does it un- well, sorry, does, does it undermine your confidence at times? If say you think a track is brilliant and you're championing that track, but then it either doesn't do well or a track that you didn't like does do very well. Like I gotta no, I, I I know what you're saying, but. It, if you if you really believe in something, then you really believe in it. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Yeah. Um, sure. I sometimes you know with that one. I remember. I remember. I think I was thinking. I don't understand why you don't like this, John. And then I realised. Well, it's because he hadn't come up with a baseline for it. He hadn't, and he hadn't really driven it. Mm-hmm. Um, John loves to be a, a, a major driver of the songs. You know, he likes to he likes things to be based on his guitar on his bass guitar parts. He um, he is a very inspiring musician to work with, by the way. Um, and I th- I think that I get a lot of the bass is a fantastic instrument for a singer to work with because you hear all these uh, all these overtones and. Um, and possibilities. You hear all these melodic possibilities in the bass line that you don't necessarily hear when it's played on a keyboard or a guitar or something, which is much more definitive in terms of the harmonic structure. Mm. So the bass leaves a lot more open to the imagination. And I, I that's why I love to work with the bass. I, I, often it's the bass that gives me the inspiration for the melody. Mm. And vocally, people have been really impressed and correctly so with the continuing strength of your vocals. Ah. Is that, is that a, almost a surprise to you or are you unbeknownst to us, you know, limbering up every day with honey and lemon and, you know, embarking on rigorous exercise? To no, make okay, sure. Let me tell, let me tell you, <laughs> honey, honey and lemon is, 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 it's a, it's a MacGuffin. It's a, it's a, it's a distraction. It's not good for your voice at all. It's a load of rubbish. Um, warm, warm water, warm teas, no sugar. That's what you need to have. I love singing and I do sing and I always set myself um, challenges. And the challenge I set myself on this album was to change the intonation of my vibrato from below the notes vibrato 
to above the note vibrato. So changing it from like a kind of share vibrato, which is below the note, to a Stevie Wonder vibrato, which goes mm -hmm. above the note. And it changes the whole feel of the record. It makes it's it's like you sing sharp rather than flat. Can you do an example? Yeah. So I go on. Um, we are lost in the evening. That's too high. We are lost in the evening. That's running out of road. Yeah, I went road. Mm -hmm. I can that's, hear it. That goes above note rather than going road. I can't even do it now. I can't even go below the note now. I've practiced so hard. In the bleak midwinter, that's all above the notes. Um, and it gives it, it's a sort of, it's a more kind of sweet sound. I think it gives, it gives a sort of a subtle subconscious optimism to the music. You know, yeah, there's a nice color to, to it. Give you an example yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Um, it's it's, it's just, a brightness. Yeah, it's a brightness to it that I think it really affects it. And and it took me ages. I started off. That was my. I started off, and it was really. I could only do it by starting the note sharp to begin with. But I I practice it. I did it every time I went on microphone. Every time I sang, I practice it until it really came to me and now I've, I've kind of made it part of my singing style mm. and that was my big goal and I, I'm really happy I achieved it and it really helped the record I think. Mm. You know I was watching Elton John perform on the Graham Norton show a while back and he was doing oh, yeah. he was doing a duet with a new younger artist and it was really interesting to watch yes. the, their separate mic techniques because the mic was on for the new younger artist at the start and honestly, I thought maybe there's a little auto tuning or something in his in his vocal treatment that yes. when it switched to Elton. I saw that and that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. When he switched to Elton, what do you think? I thought it was just his voice. <laughs> yes, I thought is. Elton totally. was Elton. Totally. And I found, I found I that agree, very but... interesting, you know, uh, in terms of the treatment of vocals in this age and yeah. what it said about Elton as well. Can we just say... Can we just say that Elton John has one of the most remarkable, extraordinary, wonderful voices in the history of modern music? It's amazing. He has an incredible voice. People are, you know, it, it, he, you know, people always pick up on his piano playing and all that. But listen to the way the guy sings. Mm. He's extraordinary. He's got a, a depth and a timbre to his voice that is incredible. Uh, his control and the bright is so effortless when Elton sings. Um, I tell you who, who always wanted to sound like Elton was Michael Hutchins. He loved the way Elton sounded. Yeah. You can you can hear I can hear when I listen to an excess records, I can hear Michael trying to sing like Elton. It's a really interesting way to but I've never thought about it like that. Um, but, yeah. but you uh, know what you're talking about. Sorry, I just want to talk about the auto-tune thing. You're absolutely right. It's, it's It has become the norm for so many uh, young artists. It's become normal for them to use um, auto-tune. I mean, eat live, in the live show. They tried it on me and I said, I can hear it and I don't like it. Mm. So um, that, I can't stand it. Yeah, like, I don't like the effect it has on my voice. Well, that's what I was wondering about, actually, because it's becoming uh, almost so part of the kind of our landscape, if you like, you know, with the likes of Charlie XCX using it almost as her default at this point. Yeah. And you kind of wonder if like at a certain point, 
artists will feel almost compelled to use it to be part of the vocal palette of well i think that there is there's a certain sound that they but they that they want to achieve and that's fine and that's all right and they can do that and it's fine um if i do it it's laziness you know what i'm saying yeah it, it's it, all right for other people to do it but i know in my heart if i started using it i would consider myself lazy yeah yeah. Well, I know uh, you might not be able to speak to, to this question as much, but, you know, in terms of keyboards and synths and, you know, the fact that so much can be computer generated now with with remarkable ease. But then you go back to some of those earlier records and there can be a very glorious individual sound um, like again, do, do you feel constrained sometimes by technology in terms of that everything's in a little box now or or paradoxically almost like made made more free by it because the creative choice no, I, is so I, huge well, weirdly i think you get you, you can experience both of this both both of those uh feelings on the same session um you know sometimes it, it you know it's it's so great to have somebody just press a button and have it and have and have the and have the beat locked in you know yeah. And, it, and, and that's wonderful. And then there are other times when you're writing and you just think, what, hang on, let, just let the drummer take and let him speed up and slow down. You don't, you don't want to be st- stuck on this tempo for the entire time. And, and every time you want to change tempo, you've got to go into the control room and sort of start twiddling with knobs. That's annoying. And it, it probably means, you know, for playing live as well, like I always think for drummers playing live, it's just so hard trying to beat what a what a, a beat has given a band in a studio. Absolutely. And if, if I can ask, uh, I won't keep you too much longer, but I, I'd love to know just how you're feeling about life at the moment. It has been a long stretch for people with COVID and it's not been easy on families, on, on being able to travel mm. and... Well. You're obviously in a privileged position in life, but yeah. you've probably felt it. I do think that as well. Yeah, I mean, so we got. Yeah, we got. Um, I mean, I tried to, I tried to just make the most of it. I know it sounds terrible when people are dying in a clean hospital, but I, there's nothing I can really, I can personally do about that. Um, I tried to just make the make the most of the of the change in lifestyle. You know, I did a few things. I did, I did some of the reading. You know, I, I learned how to make sourdough bread. Um, but at the same time, I started a radio a show um, based on new music, new artists. And that's been something that's been very fruitful for me. You know, we managed to finish an album as well, sort of, which I think is, is worth talking about. I feel good about life, you know, but I've always been a, a, a heart, glass half full kind of person. Um, yeah, I've got. I'm very lucky. I've got a wonderful family. We've got a big household here. There's twelve people in the house. In we were in two houses that um, connected, and there's twelve people in in here. So that we were never short of company during lockdown. Well, thank you so much, Simon, and uh, the very best it's a pleasure, of luck Nadine. with the promotion of the new album. And I hope someday I'll get to uh, see you play it live. Alrighty, take care. I hope so too. And my thanks again to Simon Laban. And as ever, thank you so much for listening to My Roots Are Showing. Remember, if you'd like to catch up with me on Twitter, you can do so either at My Roots Are Show or at Nadine O'Regan. And if you like this podcast, please, please do consider giving it a lovely star rating on your podcast platform of choice. Right. Till the next time, this is Nadine O'Regan signing out. I'm going to leave you with a track from the new Duran Duran album, Future Past. This one is called Hammerhead. Till the next time, do take care.
Come on.